0: Greetings and good day to all. I'd like to welcome all of you podcast listeners back to Fathers First. And I thank you for your support by tuning in today. I'm Dr. Freeman, your spiritual life coach. Welcome back today. Today, welcome back. We'll be speaking about the origins of Father's Day. But before we get started with our topic, I'd like to send universal blessings and respect and honor to all of you great fathers out there. You know who you are. Just keep doing the right thing, fellas. We commend you and thank you for all that you do. And to the new fathers out there, welcome to fatherhood. So today, let's elaborate on the origins of Father's Day. So let's start. Where where do we begin? So Let's begin at the campaign that celebrated the nation's fathers. So the campaign to celebrate the nation's fathers did not meet with the same enthusiasm, perhaps, because as one florist explained, fathers have the same sentimental appeal that mothers have. On July 5th, 1908, a West Virginia church sponsored the nation's first event explicitly in honor of fathers. A Sunday sermon in memory of the 362 men who had died in the previous December's explosion at the Fairmount Coal Company Mines in Mananga But it was a one-time commemoration and not an annual holiday. The next year, a spoken washington woman named sonora smart Dodd, one of six children raised by a widower tried to establish an official equivalent to mother's day for male parents she went to local churches the ymca shopkeepers and government officials to drum up support for her ideal and she was successful Washington State celebrated the nation's first statewide Father's Day on June 19, 1910. Slowly, the holiday spread. In 1916, President Wilson honored the day by using telegraph signals to unfurl a flag and spoken when he passed a button in Washington, D.C. in 1924. President Calvin Coolidge, Urge state governments to observe Father's Day. Today, the day honoring fathers is celebrated in the United States and it occurs on June the 20th in the year 2021. So let's go to Father's Day controversy and commercialism. Many men, however, continue (coughs) to disdain the day. As one historian writes, they scoffed at the holiday's sentimental attempts to domesticate manliness with flowers and give giving or they derided the the proliferation of such holidays as a commercial gimmick to sell more products, often paid for by the father himself. During the 1920s and 1930s, a movement arose to scrap Mother's Day and Father's Day altogether in favor of a single holiday, Parents' Day. Every year on Mother's Day, pro-Parents' Day groups rallied in New York City, Central Park. A public reminder said Parents' Day activists and radio performer, Robert Spare, that both parents should be loved and respected together. Periodically, however, the Great Depression derailed this effort to combine and de-commercialize the holidays. Struggling retailers and advertisers redoubled their efforts to make Father's Day a second Christmas for men promoting goods such as neckties, hats, socks, pipes, tobacco, golf clubs, and other sporting goods and greeting cards. When World War II began, advertisers began to argue that celebrating Father's Day was a way of honoring American troops and support the war effort. By the end of the war, Father's Day may not have been a federal holiday, but it was a national institution. In 1972, in the middle of a hard-fought presidential re-election campaign, Richard Nixon signed a proclamation, making Father's Day a federal holiday at last. Today, economists estimate that Americans spend more than $1 billion each year on Father's Day gifts alone. So, let's go to the founding fathers. We all know their names, but uh, we're going to, for educational purposes, we're going to bring them up again because we cannot forget the Founding Fathers, right? Absolutely not. The Founding Fathers, as listed, is George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, Samuel Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and John Jay. Without them, that would have been no United States of America. The Founding Fathers, a group of predominantly wealthy plantation owners and businessmen, united 13 separate colonies, fought for independence from Britain, and penned a series of influential governing documents that steer the country to this day. All the Founding Fathers, <coughs> excuse me, including the first four U.S. presidents, at one point considered themselves british subjects but they voted against the restrictive rule of king george iii outlining their grievances in a declaration of independence a powerful abbot, incomplete call for freedom and equality and won a stunning military victory over that was then the world's pre uh, superpower the founders Prove equally adapt later on in peacetime. When the federal government faltered under the Articles of Confederation, prominent citizens met anew to hammer out the U.S. Constitution, overcoming major areas of disagreement between large and small states and southern and northern ones to form a stable political system. Showing foresight, they included a Bill of Rights. Which enshrined many civil liberties into law and proved a blueprint for other emerging democracies. And uh, that statement itself is like really, truly incredible. When you look at it under a microphone glass, you'll see you know the great work these guys done, but. You know, there's other stories that's connected with these guys that a lot of people are not aware of. So we just bring the tr- truth here. You know, it's not being biased or anything like that or picking on anyone. It's just, you know, education for educational purposes, right? Great. Let's continue. There's no official consensus on who should be considered a founding father. And some historians object to the term altogether. On the other and on the whole, though it's applied to those leaders who's in, in, um, make sure I get this corrected. They initiated the Revolutionary War. Come on, I hope you guys get this now. They initiate the Revolutionary War and frame the Constitution. Here are eight of the most influential characteristics. In America's origin story. <clears throat> Before he fought against the British, George Washington fought for the British, serving as a commander in the French and Indian War. A prosperous Virginian farmer who owned hundreds of slaves, he came to resent the various taxes and restrictions being imposed on the colonies by the British crown. Once the Revolutionary War broke out in 1775, he was placed in the charge of the Continental Army and quickly suffered a near disastrous defeat at the Battle of Brooklyn. More defeats followed, all in all. Washington lost more battles than he won. Nevertheless, he kept his ragtag troops together even through a freezing winter at Valley Forge and with the help of his French allies was able to expel the British by 1783. Washington then returned to Virginia intent on resuming resuming his career as a former but he was... Persuaded to re-enter politics as head of the Continental Convention. Key word, guys. Constitutional Convention. Okay, Constitutional. Got stuck on that word, Continental. So, Constitutional Convention, guys. In Philadelphia, that was. Believing that a strong federal government was needed to preserve the nation. In 1789, Washington was overwhelmingly elected The first president of the United States. That's when he was elected president of the United States. He is amply known as the father of his country. Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton, a poor, legitimate orphan. Alexander Hamilton emigrated as a teenager from the British West Indies to New York rising to prominence as an A.D. camp to Washington during the Revolutionary War. He became an impassioned supporter of a strong central government. After attending the Constitutional Convention in 1787, he wrote the majority of the highly persuasive Federalist Papers, which argued for the Constitutional ratification. Washington then tapped him to serve To serve as the first U.S. Treasury Secretary, a position he used to push for the creation of a national bank. Later, immortalized on the $10 bill, Hamilton was killed in an 1804 duel with his bitter rival, Aaron Burr, the sitting vice president. Benjamin Franklin. Early American's foremost rena- Renaissance man, Benjamin Franklin, was a skilled author, printer, scientist, inventor, and diplomat. <coughs> despite of a former education that ended at age ten, then not designing by when not designing bifocals, harnessing electricity, playing music, or publishing poor Richard's almanac, he worked constantly on civic projects to improve his adopted city of Philadelphia. In the beginning stages of the American Revolution, Franklin was appointed to the five-member committee that drafted the Declaration of Independence. He then traveled to France, where he secured French assistance for the war effort and helped negotiate the 1783 Treaty of Paris the official end of the conflict. Just prior to his death, Franklin served as a sort of elder statesman at the Constitutional Convention. John Adams. A distinguished Massachusetts lawyer, John Adams became a relatively early prominent, uh, proponent of the revolutionary cause. Just like Franklin, he served on the committee that wrote the Declaration of Independence, journeyed overseas to secure French military and help negotiate the Treaty of Paris. He chaired other committees as well and even found time to draft the Massachusetts Constitution, which is still in place today and they still utilize it. After about 10 years of diplomatic service abroad, Adams returned home in 1788 and subsequently became vice president under Washington. Following Washington's two terms, he was then elected president serving from 1797 to 1801. In a striking coincidence, Adams and his friend turned rival turned friend. Thomas Jefferson both died on the same day, July 4th, 1826. Get this, the 50th anniversary of this Declaration of Independence. (coughs) Excuse me. Samuel Adams, the second cousin of John Adams. Samuel Adams was a political firebrand who drummed up immense opposition to British politics in Boston. A hotbed of the resistance, believing that the colonists were subject to taxation without representation. He joined the Sons of Liberty, an underground descendant group that at times resorted to tar- tearing and feathering I shall say, tarring and feathering British loyalists. Adams likely planned the 1773 Boston Tea Party and in 1775 that is, his, his attempted arrest helped spark the battles of Lexington and Concord. <coughs> the first skirmish of the Revolutionary War. Now, unlike many of the fathers or the founders, Adams was staunchly anti-slavery. He signed the Declaration of Independence and went to serve as governor of Massachusetts. Thomas Jefferson, well-educated and prosperous. Thomas Jefferson was a Virginian lawyer and politician who came to believe the British Parliament held no authority over the 13 colonies. You see, in 1776 he was given the immense task of writing Declaration of Independence in which he famously declared that all men are created equal and that they are indulged by their creator in certain unalienable rights such as life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. Now, a lifelong slaveholder, he did not extend these concepts to other ethnicities, such as African-Americans. But you remember now, he just the one that wrote it, it had to be a group of men, a meeting of the minds, to agree to it. As Secretary of State under Washington, Jefferson clashed constantly with Hamilton over foreign policy in a role of government. He later served as vice president to John Adams prior to becoming president himself in 1801. James Madison, a close friend of Jefferson's, John Madison likewise grew up on a Virginia plantation and served in the state legislature at 1787 at the 1787 Constitutional Convention. He proved to be perhaps the most influential delegate developing a plan to divide the federal government into three branches. They're called legislative, executive, and judicial, each with checks on its power. This plan, which was largely adopted, earned him the monarchy, or the the, the moniker, father of the constitution. Madison next co-authored the Federalist Papers and, as a U.S. congressman, became the driving force behind the Bill of Rights. He was elected president in 1808 after serving as Jefferson's Secretary of State. John Jay, not nearly as recognized as his major founders' cohorts, John Jay nevertheless played a, a profitable role in the Creation of the United States, a lawyer, he originally preferred reconciling or reconciling with Britain than their, than fighting for independence. Once war broke out, however, he wholeheartedly joined the side of the colonists, serving among other roles as a diplomat to Spain and linking up with Franklin and Adams to negotiate the Treaty of Paris treaty of Paris. Upon return to the United States, Jay served as Secretary of Foreign Affairs under the Articles of Confederation and authored a few of the Federalist Papers. You see, in 1789, he became the first Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, and six years later, he was elected Governor of New York. <coughs> Additional founders. We have to make sure we include these in, guys. So many other figures have also been cited as founding fathers or mothers. These include John Hancock. He was best known for his flashy signature on the Declaration of Independence. Governor Morris, who wrote much of the Constitution as Governor, Governor Morris. Okay, that was his name. Thomas Paine, the British born author of Common Sense, or Common Sense, Common Sense. Paul Revere, a Boston silversmith whose midnight ride warned of approaching Redcoats. George Mason, okay, George Mason, who helped craft the Constitution but ultimately refused to sign it. Charles Carroll, or Carroll, Carroll. The lone Catholic to sign the Declaration of Independence, Patrick Henry, who famously declared, Give me liberty or give me death, John Marshall, a Revolutionary War veteran and longtime Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and Abigail Adams, who implored her husband, John, to remember the ladies while shaping the new country. All right, so let's bring this up to the 19th century, if we will, guys. 1920th century. Yes, 19th century. So, 1920, no, 20th century. Okay, so Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Entire section on textbooks are devoted to his civil rights activism in the 1950s and 1960s. Dr. King, made his mark by preaching nonviolent means of protesting segregation in the United States. Martin Luther King's assassination at the hands of a Caucasian man in 1968 sparked riots and mourning across the whole world. Muhammad Ali Born Cassius Clay in 1942, Muhammad Ali made his name in the spark of boxing, as one of the greatest heavyweight champions of all times. He changed his name in the early 1960s from Cassius Clay, which he associated with slavery and adopted a new one from the Islamic tradition that symbolized a new black separatist movement in the United States. Ali was an objector to the Vietnam War, which moved him into the realm of left-wing activism and intersected race with a larger counterculture movement. Frederick Douglass. In Frederick Douglass' autobiography, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American slave, he outlines his life and subsequent escape from slavery, which proved instrumental to the abolition of the Abolitionist movement in the ultimate goal. And there's a couple of books out that I think that all you all should get. This guy right here is it's like really intriguing to me. Especially when you you see how he actually uh, bought his freedom. He was able to get his freedom. It's fascinating. On ending slavery, Douglass lived during the Civil War in the middle of the 19th century. W.E.B. Du Bois. W.E.B. Du Bois made his name as an author, academic, and activist in the generation before Rosa Parks and MLK. Du Bois is one of the founders of the N.W.A.C.P which remains one of the premier organizations for African American rights and activism. Jackie Robinson. Like Ali in the 1960s, Jackie Robinson was one of the most influential sport figures of his day. Robinson became the first African American to play for a major league baseball team, the Brooklyn Dodgers, which broke the league color barrier. Robinson's career spanned a decade his jersey number 42 was retired by all MLB teams, meaning no player may ever use this number again in 1997. Malcolm X, born Malcolm Little. Malcolm Little was born May 19, 1924, through February 21st, 1965, at his ending. In Omaha, Nebraska, the fourth of seven children of Granada-born Louis Helen Little and Georgia-born Earl Little. Earl was outspoken Baptist lay speaker, and he and Louis were, admi- was, were admirers, admirers of Pan-African activist Marcus Garvey. Earl was a local leader of the Universal Negro Improvement Association, that's a UNIA, and Lewis served as secretary and branch reporter, sending news of local UNIA activists to Negro to the Negro world at the time. That's the term they use. They incalculated self-reliance and black pride in their children. Malcolm X later said that white violence kill, uh, killed. Four of his father's brothers. Malcolm X, born Malcolm Little, was an African-American Muslim minister and human rights activist who was a popular figure during the Civil Rights Movement. He is best known for his time spent as a vocal spokesman for the Nation of Islam. Malcolm spent his adolescence living in a series of foster homes or with relatives after his father's death and his mother's hospitalization or uh, institutionalization because she was institutionalized. It's just hospitalization, just a fancy way of saying, institutionalization, being instituted. Hope y'all get that, (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) Continue, he engaged in several illicit activities eventually being sentenced to 10 years in prison in 1946 for larceny and breaking and entering. In prison, he joined the Nation of Islam, adopted the name Malcolm X to symbolize his unknown African ancestral surname, and quickly became one of the organizational most influential leaders after being paroled in 1952. Malcolm X then served as the public face of the organization for a dozen years where he advocated for black empowerment, black supremacy, and separation of black and white Americans and publicly criticized the mainstream civil rights movement for its uh, this emphasis on nonviolence and racial integration. Malcolm X also expressed pride in some of the nation's social welfare achievements namely its free drug rehabilitation programs throughout his life beginning in 1950 Malcolm X endured surveillance from the Federal Bureau of Investigation FBI in the 1960 Malcolm X began to grow delusioned with the Nation of Islam as well as with his leader Elijah Muhammad he subsequently embraced Sunni Islam, Sunni, sorry, Sunni Islam and the civil rights movement after completing the Hajj to Mecca. and became known as El Hajj Malik El Shabazz. After a brief period of travel across Africa, he publicly renounced the nation of Islam and founded an Islamic Muslim mosque Incorporated, MMI, and the Pan-African Organization of African American Unity, O-A-A-U. Thurgood Marshall, July 2nd, 1908 to January 24th, 1993, was an American lawyer and civil rights activist who served as Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States from October 1967 until October, 1991. Marshall was the first African-American Supreme Court justice in the history of the United States. Prior to his judicial service, he successfully argued several cases before the Supreme Court, including Brown versus the Board of Education. Born in Baltimore, Maryland Marshall, okay, Baltimore, Maryland. Marshall graduated from the Howard University School of Law. sure we got that name correct born in baltimore maryland marshall graduated from the howard university school of law in 1933 he established a private legal practice in baltimore before founding the nwacp legal defense and educational fund where he served as executive director in that position he argued several cases before the Supreme Court, including Smith versus Allwright, Shelley versus Kramer, and Brown versus the Board of Education, the later of which he held that racial segregation and public education is a violation of the Equal Protection Clause. In 1961, President John F. Kennedy appointed Marshall to the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. Four years later, President Lyndon B. Johnson appointed Marshall as the United States Solicitor General. In 1967, Johnson successfully nominated Marshall to succeed retiring Associate Justice Tom C. Clark and as an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Marshall retired during the administration of President George H.W. Bush in 1991 and was succeeded by Clarence Thomas. <clears throat> Prince Hall, 1735 to 1807, was an abolitionist and leader in the free black community in Boston. He founded Prince Hall Freemasonry and lobbied for education rights for African American children. He was also active in the Back to Africa movement. He tried to gain New York enslaved and free Blacks a place in Freemasonry. Say that again in case you didn't understand me. He tried to gain New York's enslaved and free Black a place in Freemasonry, education, and military, which were some of the most crucial spirits of some of society in his time. Hall is considered the founder of Black Freemasonry, in the United States, known today as Prince Hall Freemasonry, <clears throat> Hall formed the African Grand Lodge of North America. Prince Hall was anonymously elected its Grand Master and served until his death in 1807. Steve Glaston, a gla- gla- uh, Glaston, Glaston author of Freedom Trail, Boston, state the Prince Hall... Known for his role in creating Black Freemasonry, championing equal ed- education rights, and fighting slavery, was one of the most influential free Black leaders in late 9- 1700s. There is confusion about his year of birth, place of birth, parents, and marriages, as least partly due to the fact that there were numerous Prince Halls during the time period. Prince Hall was born between 1735 and 1738. His place of birth and parents are also unclear. Prince Hall mentioned in his writings that New England was his homeland. The Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Massachusetts, in its proceedings of 1906, opted for 17, uh, 1738, relying on a letter from Reverend Jeremiah. Becknip, Becknip, a founder of the Massachusetts Historical Society. Prince Hall's birthday is uh, celebrated September 14th. Hall's early years are unclear. Historian Charles H. Wesley theorized that by age 11, Prince Hall was enslaved or in service to Boston Tanner William Hall, and by 1770, was a free, literate man, and had been always accounted as a free man. It was thorough, right? And it was thoroughly documented through William Hall that Prince learned how to process and dress leather. Inside, Prince Hall and author and historian David L. Gray states that he was unable to find an official historical record of the Manumission Hall, identified as able to read and write, may have been self-taught, or like other enslaved people, and free blacks in New England, he may have had assistance. Hey, I thank you guys for joining in today and listening in on that little historical uh, education, but uh, most definitely, without a doubt, I thank you guys for Supporting the origins of Father's Day. I hope you guys got something out of this. And I hope you research um, all that I've actually rung um, to the table here. To this um, this day of Father's Day. And once again, I bid you all a great and safe Father's Day. Keep doing what you do. Which is the right thing for your great fathers. Dr. Freeman signing off. Fathers First. See you next time. Take care.